Good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Have you loved and lost? Have you been heartbroken, devastated by the personal loss of a relationship due to divorce or a breakup? If you have, you've probably asked the question, when is it safe to love again? Well, today we're talking to Dr. Gary Sawyer, author of Safe to Love Again, How to Release the Pain of Past Relationships and Create the Love You Deserve. The book was written for both singles and for couples who have lost the passion. It offers a pathway to rewiring the brain to allow for a safe, secure, long-lasting love to be yours. Is your love style secure, avoidant, or anxious? These styles were manifested through permissions or rights that, have, that our infant selves did or did not acquire in the first year of life, based on what we internalized and perceived from the actions of our parents, says Sawyer. Come learn about your style and how you can rewire your brain to allow a safe, secure, and long-lasting love. And let me tell you a little bit more about Dr. Gary Sawyer. After his first divorce, he vowed that his next marriage would be different. So when his second marriage crumbled almost a decade later for nearly the same reasons, he was devastated. He felt like an utter and complete failure. But rather than give in, he was determined to find another way. He committed himself to deep study of all things love. Based on a field of study called attachment theory, the science of intimate relationships, Dr. Sawyer's insights have a profound and oftentimes immediate impact. As a transformational relationship mentor, he helps people rewrite the rules for love in their brains. Dr. Sawyer also offers experiential interactive programs through his Safe to Love Again workshop and Extraordinary Couples and Extraordinary Singles retreats. He is also a highly sought-after guest on various podcasts, TV, and radio shows, such as The Aware Show on Hay House Radio and Coast to Coast AM, and we are here, happy to have him here on the Authentic Living Show today. So welcome, Dr. Sawyer, to the Authentic Living Show. Thank you, Andrea. I'm so happy to be on your show. It's an honor. Well, it's an honor for us to have you here. I've really enjoyed your book. I was glad to get information about it, and I've really enjoyed reading it and highly recommend recommend it to our listening audience. So first thing I want to know is why did you decide to write this book? I mean, I can tell that you've, you had that, those two difficult divorces and that, would, that was difficult for you, but what, what translated that into a book? You know, well, you know, it really did start as a kid when I, I was just like seven and I noticed so many people weren't happy, mostly aunts and uncles, right? And I swore I never repeat that. So I went to college and I did double major in, in psych and, and religion and then my, my senior year they gave me a test and said in the psych department and they said, oh, by the way, you've got a 90% chance of um, having a divorce. And I was floored. So I stayed a fifth year and, and studied marriage and family relations. So I was shocked when 12 years later that after doing that much work uh, I had a divorce. So I spent seven years in therapy and, and did all sorts of workshops, and then I had a second one, and I'm going like, what is up with this? And I swore, after I began to notice that traditional therapy had not changed my core style of relating. Uh, it had done me a lot of good. It gave me certain skills. I had gotten very good at managing pain. 
but it hadn't made me less anxious or less avoidant, as attachment theory would put it. I was still running some of the same patterns, and I swore that was when I, I got my marching orders in life that I'm going to crack this code if it's the last thing I do. And I just got very determined. And as I worked with my clients, I began to notice increasingly what works and what was doesn't work. And when I, I really felt like I knew what worked, that's when I wrote the book. And a lot of clients told me, you can't go to your grave, Gary, without writing this up. So that was mm-hmm. why I did it. Yeah, so your clients were uh, instrumental in helping you realize that that book would be help touch more lives than just the clients you work with directly. Oh, yeah. One told me she'd be coming to haunt me on the other side if I did. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. So, you didn't want to do that, great. no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't want that. So uh, while you were writing the book, you must have been learning more even as you wrote the book. What did it teach you about love? That is a great question. Uh, I, I, it would, you know, the, this is the surprising thing. I had to tell my own story in uh, the book, and I realized that as much as I cleaned up getting rid of that victim little thing, there were still little places where it crept back in. And I realized that, you know, we are always growing in love. There's no sense making ourselves wrong. Love is an ongoing, it's a set of challenges, it's a set of promises, and it's, and it's just a privilege to be on the growth side of love when you're working um, on things. And what I really, really got clear for my reader is just how important it is to feel at the core of your being these four feelings um, uh, of what I talk about, secure love, that it's, you have to feel you know, you have a right to feel welcomed and worthy and cherished and empowered. And the other thing I learned um, was from early readers of the book while I was writing it is how many people feel so wrong when they their love about themselves and I'm wrong. Um, just a few weeks ago, uh, somebody was at an event hearing me speak and a friend who had the book called over a friend and said, oh, this is Dr. Gary. He just wrote a book on love. And her first reaction was, oh, no, not another book that tells me how wrong I am. And so I really learned a lot about the tenderness in people's hearts when it comes to love and that great fear of I'm not enough or I'm broken or I'm wrong. And it, it really helped me get in touch with that need in all of us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think we do have a real natural desire for connection that's really deep and binding with another human being that's very real and i think that's been discounted some too in in a generation of i not just generation but generations of i thinking we've learned a lot about independence and individuality and how to cope and how to make boundaries but we haven't learned so much about that we you talk so much about in the book so say some more about that we okay well you know i work with both singles and couples And what I began to realize is a lot of people think, well, we're a couple. That means we're together. Uh, Or we're exclusive. Or we're monogamous. That makes us a couple. And that exclusive monogamy, just being together, even being married, doesn't make you a we. You know, what really heals and empowers a couple is this third party between them with that I call the we. I know when I'm working with clients that are couples, that my real client isn't 
either of them. It's yep. the energy, the connection, the bond that's emergent between them, what I call the we. Because any time you have a, uh, a couple that's mostly two me's getting together for their mutual uh, needs, show me a couple without a, a we and I'll show you a war. Uh, so the big thing is, I know my real client is the we, helping it exist, helping them understand that that we has a right to have its needs met, it, it, and it needs to be cherished and empowered. So for me, the real key that a lot of people have missed is they still think, oh, it's two me's getting together and they're negotiating, they're bartering, and we're aligning, but it's more than that. A we is that great place of possibility and connection between two people where they, there are some part invest in the higher space of what's good for the relationship versus what's good for me. And when that happens, miracles happen. And until it happens, there's often distress, troubles, and a lot of other things. Yeah. Yeah, very well said. Very well said. So we, we learned some patterns of love early on. Can you say something about how, how we learned these patterns? Absolutely. You know, like, for instance, um, in my own story, I, I, my, uh, let's take with the feeling of welcome with joy. That's the first feeling that tells your brain that it's loved. And we get it in the first few months of life, usually. Okay? All these, these patterns, uh, templates, permission slips, rights, whatever you want to call them, for love, uh, these feelings were put in the first three years, especially the first year and a half. We know that. Um, I, I was born to a mother who really wanted a girl, so much so that my aunt told me I wore pink for the first six months of my life. And when I was born, there weren't a genetic test. She was so disappointed, she refused to name me. And it wasn't until three weeks later when the, um, um, the state of Ohio sent some very nice men with a cherry top in the car, and they said, ma'am, you need to name your child. And she said, nope. And they said, well, either name, give us a name, or we'll put you in a place where you have as much time as you want to to think about it. <laughs> and... <laughs> That's when my aunt suggested her two favorite um, actors, uh, Gary Cooper and Dean Martin. Now, I didn't get a lot of welcome with joy. So there was a part of me that was always anxious. Do I belong? Do I belong? Do I belong? And yet a little avoidant because uh, who wants to belong to someone who rejects you like that, right? And there was always that issue. So there was always a part of me that pulled back the template that I learned. The little cookie cutter was it's safer being away. Um, and so some part of me was constantly going into my head, being intellectual, and it didn't do, it didn't play well with my first wife. She felt lonely, and I couldn't understand it because I deeply loved her, but I was always finding a way to pull away uh, because of that early pain. So I learned early to survive feeling unwelcome by pulling away. And that pattern was running in my first marriage and nobody gave my brain an upgrade saying, hey, there's a security memo pull away from a borderline mother, but at 18, you're good to go with other people who won't be that way. I just kept running the same security memo and it played havoc. And no one told me about that in my psych degree or my marriage and family, an undergraduate. Um, they left the pattern running. And, and so uh, 
it had tragic effects. I think in many, many respects, that's how it is for all of us. Sometimes we learn it's not, it's not good to reach out for our needs. So we, so we give and give and give, and then we are resentful because we tend to attract takers. Or we feel like, you know, it's, we can't really be cherished and protected, or we can't have a voice. We can't speak up. And then, we, then when we can't speak up, the relationship doesn't have the feedback. Uh, we lose ourselves in a relationship because we don't have a right to create our own experience and we're not empowered in that way. These templates run for our lives until we adjust that baseline feeling and give ourselves some new skills. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for being willing to share your own personal experience with us. That's, that's I think, very important for for us to understand how these patterns begin and then and to sort of forgive ourselves for having them, you know, to not be so hard on ourselves for having them. You, you mentioned being wrong and, uh, and, you know, people feeling that they're wrong for, for the mistakes that they made. But what we want is for people to feel supported and uh, encouraged. Um, so you know, the brain always takes the best deal available, Andrea. The, you know, no, yeah. no brain wakes up in the morning and says, how can I screw with my owner today? <laughs> no brain does that right. a long time ago. The, the little ones found out that it w- they weren't in the best deal and they took the best, the next best deal. Uh, in the book, I talk about one woman, her, her, uh, one of my favorite stories in the book is her name, Sabrina. And she came to me, you know, 35, 38 years old, very professional woman, uh, three kids, Alice and the Burbs, and she goes, I have a wonderful husband. She goes, but if he ever finds out... Uh, I'm going to lose everything I have. She goes, you know, I can't really make love to him the way I want to. She goes, I just can't enjoy him. Now, that important word is enjoy. I just can't let it loose. And so for the last 15 years of our marriage, um, I've had an affair every six months because it's the only place I can truly enjoy someone with these men that don't mean anything. She is, and don't get me wrong, he's done everything I've ever asked. He's attentive. He's wonderful. A lot of women, I just can't enjoy him. Now, you so, and she goes, and I've got to fix this because I'm going to lose everything that I hold dear in life. And she just broke into sobs. But what we found out is when she was like three and four, her mom and dad did not have a really great Relationships. So dad sort of just naturally got more of his emotional needs met through his daughter, not in any weird ways, but she became a daddy's girl. And the mother picks this up and is jealous of her. And then her father does something. He enrolls her in a couple of beauty pageants, buys her a beautiful red dress. And when they come back from the beauty pageant, the mom looks at the daughter and says, did you enjoy daddy? Did you enjoy daddy? And all of a sudden she realizes if I enjoy a man who loves me, I will lose mommy's love and it's not safe. That was the time. And so she pulls away. She goes, I just stopped enjoying my father. I wouldn't let myself have fun with him so that I wouldn't lose my mom. And that template was running in our marriage. When we, when, when we gave her back a full right to love and be loved and rework that so it was safe to enjoy and safe to really be connected and more than just, you know, a house in the birds' way, um, you know, eventually, you know, we brought her husband in. And, and all he said to me in the first session is, what did you do to my wife? 
<laughs> and that's that's the you know that's how it works. Now her at that time, no three year old wants to lose mommy. That's the best deal. Not about you know you, this way you at least keep both. Uh, but it wasn't working so well as a thirty five year old married woman. It just wasn't. That's that's you know whatever is the best deal was for us. Whether it's not reaching out or not having a voice. It's always the best deal. So no part of you is wrong. It kept you, if you're listening, it kept you on the planet. It kept you sane. And we love that part. It's working its little tail off to keep you on the planet, to keep you safe. We just got to upgrade it. Give it a little different safety feeling, a little different feeling of what it's worthy of so that it can take a better deal. So no part of you is wrong. It's just not as right for you as it, as it needs to be. And if we can give it what it needs, it will gladly take a better deal. So nobody's wrong. Everybody's taking the best deal. Yes, very well said. And, and, you know, it's just so good to know that there's a pattern that we can look at, that we can discover, that shows us where we're, we're sort of stuck. And instead of yeah. thinking, you know, my husband or my wife or my partner is doing something wrong and I need to get them to change, which is what typically we think um, when in the relationship or else we feel wrong and failed, and, and we don't know what to do about that. So it's so good to hear you talk about this from that perspective. Um, I think it's very valid. We just have uh, just a few more minutes before the break, but I, I, I want to start by just asking this question. Maybe we just have a short little time, and maybe we'll finish talking about it after the break. But you, you've restored my hope uh, for a little bit of the relationship. How do you restore people's hope for true love? You know, that's a, another great question because we have an epidemic of hopelessness out there in the world today. Uh, now, and I think this is how hopelessness gets born in the brain. After you've had enough disillusioning, disappointing, heartbreaking experiences, some, this is the, the trick, this is the brain's trick. It says, well, let's not brain will start deleting all the potential partners or, or, or situations where we could be loved because it's afraid that once we start thinking we're going to be loved, we're not going to be loved. So it's trying to protect. It says, let's not even get involved with love. Let's not find a partner. And it begins to delete all the good ones or all the evidence that we are loved. And then, so when people, like when singles say, there's no good ones out there, I know a filter is there. And it the brain is filtering them out so they don't get involved, so they don't get hurt. And while it's trying to protect them from not being hurt, it's also creating a massive amount of hopelessness. Under every feeling, every person that says, it's hopeless out there, there are no good ones, I know that, especially for singles, a filter is deleting all the potential good ones so that they don't get hurt again. Okay. All right. So we understand that that feeling of hopelessness, and we're going to learn more about how to restore hope and how to uh, how to establish a long-lasting, secure relationship after this break. So stay tuned for more right after this. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. When you 
you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to Lead Up for Women. Speak up to Lead Up as we celebrate the influence of women in business and beyond. Your hosts, Colleen Biggs and Sabina Ramsey, speak with guests who have stories to share, have faced adversity, and have become success stories in business, in their communities, and in personal accomplishments. Join the strong and the brilliant ones and understand that the world is ready for you to be at your best. Lead Up for Women is heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Empowerment. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll free 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today to Dr. Gary Sawyer about his book, Safe to Love Again, How to Release the Pain of Past Relationships and Create the Love You Deserve. And what we've discovered so far is that we developed certain uh, patterns for, uh, about love, about relationship, early, early in life. And uh, we, that we, did, we picked the one, the thing that we could do that would cope best with that p- pattern, and we lived it out, and it became a template for the rest of our relationships, and, and that's how we get ourselves into some trouble sometimes, because we learned a, a template that doesn't work. And so now what we have to discover is how do, we, how do we change that? So let's talk about that for a little bit. How do we find and keep a lasting relationship, given all the serial relationships and all the breakups that are out there? Well, the real key, as I argue in the book, is there's a lot of things out there that say that, you know, like compatibility, you got to have compatibility, you know, and a certain amount of compatibility is good. You know, online you see everything is based on compatibility. You know, you know one woman I work with had 64 standard check marks that she put in Match.com and then complained there's only 25 men in the entire population that would match it. But compatibility, they've done research on this. Ted Houston did that. Uh, he... Um, um, realized that uh, when he looked at couples, that couples that accented uh, compatibility were the least happy. The ones that accented their marital friendship 
those are the most happy. What predicts is really being great friends. And the friends are these woods is what we learned about love early on. The key to my book is we stop using some of these external things and realizing that our brain knows when we're loved. From the time we're one year old, you can, the attachment science, which is what I do, knows that you, if you, by the way a child is, if a mother leaves the room or is, uh, uh, and then they come back to the reunion, you can tell how that brain is wired, that whole child is wired, whether they're anxious, secure, or avoidant um, for love, and that love style tracks for the rest of their life. So anxious is just they're afraid when love is going away. When did you text me? You know, are you coming back? The secure know that love's going to hang around. They're calm. They're secure. They expect the love. They expect to be loved back. They're the masters. And then the other ones are the avoidance. The child that feels, oh, mom was never there for me, so they're, they look precociously uh, wise and independent, but actually they're not in, they won't invest. They become... Uh, they have a flight response. They don't want to be dependent on. They don't want to depend on anybody. So they become Mr. Ms. Not available or no commitment. What tells a baby at one and a half, one to one and a half, they're loved? Well, it can't be story, because that part of the brain isn't even online, and it's not limiting beliefs. It's not identity. They don't have one of those yet. Um, what it is is four feelings. Four feelings. If you can give and you are receiving them, you'll feel loved and you'll be loving. Those four feelings that every child learns to say, hey, I am truly loved are welcomed with joy, worthy and nourished to have my needs met, cherished and protected. I get to be a me and an empowering we that's got my back and uh, empowered with choice. That means I get to create my own experience. I don't have to get lost in somebody else's. Nobody has to be the standard of my experience. Or... Um, and they get to have a voice with choice. If you're feeling welcomed, worthy, cherished, and protected, you're feeling pretty loved. And if you can give those feelings, you're going to be very good at loving people. The real key to creating lasting love is to start tracking uh, how well you're receiving and giving. So if you're a listener out there, just for a moment, let's just take an inventory. This is what I do with my couples, many on the first or second session. One to ten. One to ten, in your relationship, how, how welcome do you feel? Are they welcoming you with joy? Hey, good morning, gorgeous, or great to have you home tonight. One to ten. How worthy do you feel in this relationship? Is it okay to reach out to your, uh, for your needs? Or do you feel like you just got to reach out with little alligator arms and just see, I'm not sure if I can ask for this. And do you feel like you're always given, or it's a balance giving and taking? It's okay to take in. Uh, one to ten. How cherished and protected do you feel? Do they do they understand my dreams? Are they are they a safe haven to come home to? And I know I have a home port in their heart. I get to be me, and they're going to protect me. I know I've got a safety net under the higher wire act of all of my hopes and dreams. And then, empowered with choice, is it okay to speak up? Is it okay to express my opinion and tell them my real feelings to be both good and bad, happy and sad, you know? And do I get voice and do I get to have choice? Are they going to meet me in the middle and share influence? So, one to ten on all those. If one of them are missing, you're probably thinking something's not all that great. Two's missing, you're thinking, what's the number of my best friend's therapist? And three are missing, you're in a toxic relationship. So what creates lasting is giving 
and receiving only these four feelings, not the other ones like undeserving or unwelcome, uncherished or disempowered, but these four feelings. And odds are, if you think of anything that's wrong, you'll, and you may have other ways of describing it, I'll bet you what's underneath, underneath that problem is one of these missing feelings. Beautiful. That's how you create lasting. You stop giving BS and taking BS, and BS is not giving these four feelings. And the good stuff is welcomed, worthy, cherished, and empowered. So we have to start choosing to look for those kinds of things in our dynamics. Exactly. We have to look for the. I, I, I get all my... I eventually, when I work with couples, I get them to track this. And singles, too. You, how do I know they're the right one? Oh, there's six, three, two, you know, they're, they're a doctor or a lawyer. Um, no. Do, do they make you feel these four feelings? This, you know, in fact, here's a little practical thing. If you can think about this, every Sunday night, I have a lot of my couples check in with each other, scale of one to ten. How did I do on the four feelings? And then they can say, well, what happened? This, and then suddenly the relationship starts going up and up and up because they start feeling more loving and loved. Uh, and if you just talk about the problem and not the feeling that the problem is creating, uh, you're not going deep enough with love yeah. or your partner. Yeah, we've, we've kind of come from a society that discounts our feelings and pays more attention to our intellect, but this, what you're saying is these feelings that we receive from other people are very, very important. They are. And it, this can be a little bit of an eye-opener for men. My men class, because, you know, men tend to want to fix things, right? And what I explained to them is that they have feelings, too, uh, and that for, you know, they need to understand this about women. Women have emotional processors on both sides of the brain, whereas men only have an emotional processor on the right side of their brain. So automatically, there's, that's all women use for feeling. It's like radar. They, you know, they send out, they ping emotionally, and if we, we don't ping them back emotionally with feelings, it's like those stealth aircraft that, you know, that they suddenly we go invisible on their radar screens. And there's a scene in the, like the hunt for Red October when uh, one sub needs to ping the other back, and if they don't, it's World War III. So the only way we can help a woman know where she's at in a relationship, so her GPS is working and her, and her radar is working, is to ping her back with uh, one of our feelings. And then if you just add the fact that under stress, a woman's brain uh, gives eight times the amount of blood flow to her emotional processors than a man. A man's goes to the problem solving, then it's for a, for a man to truly help a woman feel safe, he's got to ping her back emotionally. And it's okay. We're allowed to have our feelings. We've got them. And it's okay to have more feelings than, than anger <laughs> or cynicism. And yes. uh, once men learn that, they get a lot happier lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that first stage. You've had a breakup. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, you don't, you're kind of stuck in that sad feeling of having a broken heart. How do you heal from a broken heart? How do you heal from a broken heart? That's another excellent question. For, you know, there's a lot of different ways in, in any, but let me just kind of answer it in general, and it may be different for anybody that's out there. Most times that someone's got a broken heart, uh, it's because it's hit that old wound. Uh, 
You know, I just knew I wasn't worthy enough again. I mean, there's an epidemic of unworthiness out there. The ghosting, uh, you know, even when Facebook posts where everybody's po- posting uh, these wonderful pictures of their dates and couples all these loving, and I've worked with couples, and, I've, and I know the horrible arguments, but they never talk about it on Facebook. You know, and you think everybody else is having a good experience, a great experience. What about me? And they're not. It's... Um, so we get this, it hits that feeling of unworthy, or it could be disempowered, or it could be one of the others. And the real trick is to go back and realize that to heal that old feeling, most of the times it's unworthy, uh, so that you know that uh, whatever told your brain a long time ago that you couldn't feel worthy. Because once your brain feels unworthy, it uses that as a reference for uh, feeling, for creating other experience. Whatever those early feelings are, the brain uses that, say, let's have more of that. So if it's welcome, it'll use welcome. If it's unwelcome, it'll use that too. So the key is allowing our brains to start really at a deep level, not at the story level, not at you know the part that reads books, at a deep, what they call the limbic system, way deep in your brain, um, to feel this thing that I am worthy. And when you feel when you feel that feeling of worthy, or maybe it's welcome uh, or cherished, once you feel it in your guts and your body, and you, and uh, it goes through every cell of your body like a golden beam of light that says, "I am worthy," the heartache stops, and an amazing thing happens. If your brain feels worthy, it just won't choose a partner who uh, makes you feel unworthy. Um, I was working with a client in the fall who was very anxious and she kept finding men who would love to have sex on the first date but never really want to stay around. That's unworthiness, okay? And when we and we worked over a course of time and really got her to feel worthy and it was it's and then a couple months ago she told me she goes, I don't know, I just naturally found this really wonderful man. He's really conscious of my boundaries. We're getting to know each other. And he's just so different. She goes, I don't even know what I did different. And I said, your brain just, once it felt worthy, it only picked, it only sorted for worthy men who would make you feel worthy. Once we changed that reference feeling, she didn't have to think about dating so much. It just came naturally. That's how you, that's how you heal. You restore the original feelings so you know you've got a right to feel these. And then you feel them automatically, whether you're thinking about them or not. Beautiful, beautiful. That's beautiful. I think that's really very valid. So, okay, let's talk about singles for just a minute. We just have a few more minutes before the break, but let's try this out. Uh, How do you tell if someone is emotionally available? Oh, that's really good. (laughs) Well, emotionally available people uh, almost ne- unavailable, unavailable, almost never make you feel welcomed with joy, except maybe on a first date of their player, okay? They are the masters of not truly turning towards you um, when you make bids. They will uh, often, uh, you know, they tend to, you know, not respond immediately to bids, I'm working with one couple, and she might ask for something. And six days later, he gets around to finally responding to a text message while she's been waiting. They're a young couple. Uh, that's emotionally unavailable because at one point in time, that was the best deal for him. 
And um, they, you know, another thing is, there's some little things like, do they always walk ahead of you when you're walking? Uh, do they turn toward you or do they turn away or just don't acknowledge it? Are they always on their cell phones or their games? When they're not, you know, but most of it, just, just track the feeling. How welcome with joy do they make me feel? And sometimes people can, <coughs> can, can give this feeling um, because they got busy, so I'm not talking about every couple misses it at some time. But this is, do they have a pattern? I don't feel welcomed. Maybe it might be worthy, but I find it mostly welcomed. Uh, this is a, uh, Scott, confession. A few years ago, I was doing my couples retreat, and I was dating a woman, and um, uh, I waited to the week beforehand to write a 150-page manual for the, for the couples retreat. And I was cranking this thing out, and she calls one day, and I go, honey, I'm just like really, really busy here. I'm on this one section. Uh, we'll talk later. She goes, okay. She calls back later a couple hours, and she goes, she goes and I, you got time to talk. oh, man, I'm just really busy, busy on this. And I'm, okay. And then she calls a third time, and I give her the same. And the fourth time, she goes, fine. And she hangs up. And I, oh, no, I'll just call her. I'm pitching myself. I get this. I just got to get this done. I'm so focused on my work that I'm forgetting my relationship. And then, and the funny thing was, and this is the honest kind of truth, I was writing a page on turning toward and, uh, your partner's bids for attention. And, I, and after like two minutes, I look up to the universe and say, you've got to be kidding me. You have a warped sense of humor. <laughs> and I call her back, and she goes, I don't feel very welcome with joy today, Dr. Salyer. <laughs> and I said, I don't, I know and that you're absolutely right, and we worked it out. So I'll tell you how we did that, or we can go on to something else. But we yes, all yes, we, I want to hear about how you did that. But let's go ahead and take a break right now, and and then we'll come back and okay. you can hear tell how you how you worked that out because I think that's important. Working stuff out is how couples do it. All right, so we're going to be back in just a minute with more from Dr. Gary Sawyer about his book Safe to Love Again. Stay tuned. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com If you've always wanted to take the lead in your life, but you don't believe you are a leader, then it's time to change that mindset. Leadership expert Linda Patton will help you discover the powerful leader that lives within and teach you the leadership skills that will transform your business and your life. Stepping into your leadership brings reality to your vision, and leadership can be learned. Find out more on Leadership Stars every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in for Five Blossom Radio. Each week, host Denise Richard will discuss common interests in the fields of art, health, and spirituality. The series is arranged into three parts, focusing on Five Blossom Gatherings, the Four Voices Program, and Fires of Compassion. Every program is available on demand, so if you miss any part of the series live, be sure to catch up. Five Blossom Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. 
Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Fridays at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We're back talking today with Gary, Dr. Gary Sawyer on his book, Safe to Love Again. And I wanted to ask you, uh, Dr. Sawyer, if you would uh, tell the listening audience how they might connect with you. Well, thank you very much. If they want to connect with me, it's pretty easy. You just go to www.GarySawyer.com. That's S-A-L-Y-E-R, G-A-R-Y-S-A-L-Y-E-R.com. And there's a contact. Dr. Gary, you can email me. It'll tell you to email me. I think it's drgary at garysawyer.com. And that's the best way to get, if you have questions, you know, that's the best way to get a hold of me. Okay, great. Great. Thank you so much for sharing that. All right. Well, I want to I ask you to finish the story you started, Bob, before we took a break. You were talking about how you guys managed to get past that moment where she confronted you with the fact that she felt unwelcomed and you said, yep, you're right. What happened after that? Well, when she goes, you know, Dr. Sire, I don't feel very welcomed with joy. You know, the first thought was, oh, no, I'm getting my stuff used against me. And then I said, you know, you're absolutely right. I've done a lousy job responding to you today. Uh, I was so busy wanting to help other couples that I forgot I was one. And she goes, you're right about that. <laughs> you know? And for about 10 minutes, I, I did what has happened not once in my life, but most, I just listened to her and I said, you're absolutely right. I, I could totally understand how you felt that way. And tell me more about that. You know, what's the worst part of that? And I, and I made her feel worthy and, uh, just, and empowered and cherished, you know, to speak her, her feelings. And after about 10 minutes, you know, I said, you know, um, if it's really important, let's figure out a cue. And she and we talked about when I really need your attention, I will talk to you about that. And I said, okay, so that's the cue. She goes, that's the cue. I said, and I will do better turning towards you. And after about 20 minutes, she goes, now, Dr. Sire, go get him. <laughs> get back. <laughs> you know, because I turned toward her and I made a repair. We know that the key thing in couples is making repairs because nobody is perfect. Uh, 91% of the time, the couples research tells us, uh, uh, couples are in a place where one or the other or both are not in a great position where they're naturally turning toward the other. So there's distractions, there's responsibilities. Only 9% of the time are couples really just in an opportune place to respond. So there's ample places in life to stumble, to fall as a couple, but it's when we make repairs, and it's the quality of the repair and accepting the repair 
you know, we, it's just as important to accept repair. And luckily she did. And a lot of it is saying, you know, this is how I felt. And, can, and instead of offering criticism, saying, what I really need is this. So if you are making, uh, you need a repair made, you simply say, honey, what I've noticed is that <clears throat> you weren't listening to me. Uh, and I and I felt shut out of your world. And I, the story I told myself was, I don't feel loved. And I felt really lonely. And I felt a little angry. Can you please make some time to hear, hear me and listen to me? Give them a roadmap for success in the future versus where they stumbled in the past. So if we offer that and give, and where we have the humility, yep, um, I didn't give you that feeling. And uh, and you. Let them know they're worthy. They have what they need. Um, miracles will happen for couples. Yes, I, I really appreciate you saying give them a roadmap for the future instead of uh, uh, sort of the blaming, shaming thing for the past. I, I think that's one of the the go tos in relationship. Is there's a lot of blaming and shaming about the past, and there's not much uh, in way of suggestions for the future. And I think that that pathway is very, very important. It is. I mean, criticism, what we know, is one of those big predictors <coughs> of breakups. It's not a lasting thing. Uh, but there has to be feedback. Uh, you know, we, it's okay to complain, but criticism is when we make it about the other person's character. You often, and that character is when we actually say something negative about them, but the words always and never are almost always in those sentences with criticism. You are always, you are never. And the what we do is we conjure up a negative partner image. Uh, that isn't really true. It's the partner at their very worst moment. And who is there at their very worst moment all the time? So what most couples are objecting to is the partner's negative image. And that's their very worst and not who they always uh, usually are. Uh, maybe if you're married to a narcissist or something, this may not apply. But for most people with what I call middle-class craziness, we all stumble and fall. And it's important to keep it positive as much as possible. What is it I need? Give them a, a, a recipe for success and not making it about their character, not making, and especially leaving contempt out from a, contempt is any communication from uh, a superior place. Like, gosh, you must be, you know, thanks for paying the bills. You're such a financial whiz. And if you were just, if you could just listen to me, maybe, you know, that's contempt. So, And that's a 94% predictor. So stay away from criticism, defense. And if you're a man, don't stonewall. Don't walk away. Don't look at your watch and never answer them. Turn toward them and say, yes, I understand, honey. I'm sorry you're angry. I will, you know, let me see what I can do about turning toward you or whatever they need. All right, so let's talk just a little bit more about singles now. How does a single person know when someone is the one? Well, there, I think there's, there's three things here. You have to know how well are they consistently giving you four feelings. It's great. I actually had one woman tell me, she goes, I, you know, early on, she goes, I hit the jackpot. I go, what's the jackpot? And she goes, oh, he's a lawyer. And I go, oh, so, but the lottery for love is, are the four feelings. And the funny thing is, that guy turned out to be a jerk. And when uh, she started dating him, and this guy turns out to be a doctor. And a guy was a pretty good, decent job, but not a, a doctor or a lawyer. And he came in a little overweight and had a Hawaiian T-shirt on. So 
instead of a silk Italian suit. But this guy made her feel great. And when she started using these four feelings instead of these other things, things went really, she goes, oh my God, it's like, this is what I've been looking for. So it's trading in that jackpot list for the lottery of love, which is the four feelings. And you're also looking for signs of the we. How well are they going to create a we with you? How well do they share influence? If there's no we, that partnership is doomed. So you're looking for four feelings of we and Admittedly, you need some alignment, you know, uh, that you're, you're working on this in the same area. Two people could give each other all the four feelings in the world, but if one wants to live in a teepee outside and, and do it all natural, and the other one wants a 4,000-square-foot home in the hills, this is not going to work because most people don't put teepees in living rooms. <laughs> you know, So uh, mostly the four feelings, a lot on the we and making sure there's alignment. If you have those three, you're pretty good to go. Right. Okay. So what should a new couple know about creating a lasting relationship? Well, the new couple should know this, that just because they have a persistent pattern of problems doesn't mean the relationship is doomed. 69% of all couples will deal about the same, will be dealing with the same issues for the rest of their lives. That means 69% tracks from uh, honeymoon to for 20 years out. If you track them, they're, they're, they're dealing with the same thing. The difference between lasting and fleeting is the masters. They have the same, but they do two things. They dialogue. They dialogue about these enduring. They don't make each other wrong. They don't get into heavy-duty screaming and reactive states. And they recognize the, the enduring vulnerability underneath things. They realize, oh, yeah, I, given a father like that or given a mother like that, I understand how he or she would have that tendency to be sensitive here. And they turn each other's enduring vulnerabilities to endearing vulnerabilities. Oh, yes. You know, I'm, I'm, you know sometimes I've dealt with couples where maybe, like for one, she had a father that was very, uh, how should we say it, um, not prone to um, um, monogamy. And she watched her mother cry a lot. So she was always on the lookout. If he went away uh, for a couple of days and did not text her, who are you with? And when he realized it, he could have had a reactive state. And we learned, she had to learn to trust a little bit, and he had to learn to ping her back saying, hey, honey, um, I'm, you know, I got 15 minutes for my next meeting in this thing and just thinking of you. Instead of judging her for it, well, why are you being so anxious? He said, I get that. I get that. Let me ping you back a little bit more. And so it's dialoguing over the things that keep coming up and realizing if they keep coming up, welcome to the party. That's the way all couples are. And emphasizing understanding. Find out how it relates to the childhood wound. And then with understanding, turn that enduring vulnerability to an endearing one. And that's what new couples are at. The problems are really uh, hidden opportunities for deeper connection if we look at them in that way. Very good. Well, real quickly, we have just a few minutes before we close, but I want to ask, this is the $65 million question, um, what is it that all lasting couples have in common? Well, that, there's a, a lot of things, but I'd have to say all lasting couples, 
you show me a couple without a we, and I'll show you a war. Uh, and when I'm working with couples, my real client is, the, is not either one of them, so to speak. It's the we that's between them. There has to be a real sense of we. That's that energetic third connection, a third party between them. And both of them have substantial invested in their identities of who they are as, as me's and that we. So the we is more important than either of them. You know, so many arguments are when people value an issue over the relationship. When, uh, when a we is allowed to exist and given its needs met and it's cherished and protected and empowered, it acts as a protective sheath, making sure that both individuals are protected, both get a win. There's everything beautiful in lasting love comes from a we, and and so it's not it's not just we're a couple or we're married. Are we a we? Emphasize the we, grow the we, and I guarantee you, with a little alignment, you've got a lasting marriage. Okay, so focusing on that we is the thing that the lasting marriages have in common. They they work on that. I, oh, I yeah. think intimacy. A big part of that as well, that inti- intimate relationships are, are those that, uh, that cherish that we and, and nurture that we. So that's a real important part of it as well. Okay, well, we are, we are uh, just about over for today, and I'm, I'm sad to end the conversation because it's a very powerful and good conversation. So thank you, Dr. Sawyer, for, for writing this book, Safe to Love Again, and for being on the show today. I really appreciate that. Well, thank you for helping me get this work out in the world. And thank you for working with couples yourself. We're on the side of love, and it's, it's an honor to be here with you. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And we're going to be back again next week. So remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week 